Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Dalton Veldon, joined by our friend Chris Allen. He's the lead fantasy analyst at 4 for 4 Football, among other places. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of his columns today. Very excited to bring Chris on. Uh, really highlighting his uh, the main recent one he had on Yahoo as well that, that tells you how not to ruin your fantasy team early on. We're really going to take a deep dive into round one. Man, uh, this, this is a weird time to do a podcast, admittedly, Chris. Um, it's, it seems a bit trivial to talk fantasy football, but thanks a lot for joining me. And uh, yeah, man, uh, thanks again. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, I'll just, I mean, it, the easiest way is just to kind of be honest about what's going on around us here at the moment. And uh, for everybody that's out there kind of paying attention, I would say before you hop up on Twitter and uh, want to start pontificating and whatnot, just stop, listen. Uh, try and be as empathetic as you possibly can be because there's just a, a lot of emotion that's out here uh, going on in the in the world right now. So I think it's best to try and listen before we, before we react. Uh, that's really all I can say. Well said. And yeah, treat others how you'd want to be treated yourself. But yeah, man, really, really uh, trying times right now. Um, let's take a little brief moment off and talk some, some fake football. Um, headline, one headline today um, David Montgomery getting uh, carted off the football field. Then that's later saying, well, of course, he's going to be carted because the other practice field was on the other side of the property. But bottom line, it looks like it, uh, it's, it's not an insignificant injury, but maybe not a season ender. By the time you hear this, it'll be, uh, you know, the news that might be dated. But from what it looks like now, it's some sort of a sports hernia looking at four to eight weeks. If that's the case, Chris, what have you done on your uh, your running back rankings regarding Montgomery? Uh, so I've shifted him down like quite a bit in my RB rankings at this point. Uh, right now, he was kind of in that that gray area where I'm more interested in the wide receivers that were going around him anyway. So it would seem like he would be a guy that at most points in the draft I'd be looking to avoid. So if you were considering maybe drafting him at some point and from best ball ADP, I was seeing him go like somewhere in like the fifth ish round somewhere in, around there. Uh, I would, I'm still much more happier to take one of the one of the wide receivers that's going in that particular range. So I would say let's let's wait and see where things go. I mean, I know the immediate reaction was that all right, well, let's see if uh, they try and pick up the phone and call Devonta Freeman, or if they try and reach out if they still think they're a contender in the league and see if they can reach out and make a trade for any of the uh, running backs that are kind of sitting deeper on some of the depth charts around the league. I saw uh, let's see guys like Royce Freeman, Gus Edwards, some of those guys being tossed around as potential trade targets. So let's see how Chicago kind of reacts to the prognosis for David Montgomery. And then we'll kind of, uh, we'll adjust as the team adjusts. Yeah. It's the thinnest backfield in the NFL. I think, I mean, we're talking about Artavis Pierce an undrafted free agent, Ryan Nall, uh, Cordero Patterson. I mean, Yahoo right now, just wide receiver eligible. I'm sure we'll get a hard time for that, but, um, he could get some more carries, but for reference, I just, whatever, just, if you had to decide now, I move Montgomery from number 20 to number 30, but I can't foresee drafting him if I were in a draft this weekend, unless he came in a, a major discount. Um, uh, we'll talk more about the, the deeper guys and other backup situation at the end of this draft. Um, but first, I wanted to highlight your column, as I said, uh, how how to handle round one, basically. So I uh, found it really interesting. And I, uh, you know, I'm a pushback in a couple areas, but um, I want to let you take it away and uh, d- describe it yourself, Chris. Sure. And uh, really, my the 
my thought process behind uh, approaching the first round is that uh, typically you're going to wind up letting ADP kind of guide the stage like right there as the draft kind of fall. And, and I know a lot of folks will say, let the draft fall to you. And essentially, that's mostly what will wind up happening in the first round. You don't necessarily have to reach. But you do need to approach it with the sense that your first round selection is going to wind up informing your incoming picks like after that. So if you're drafting Christian McCaffrey, what's going to be waiting for you once you get back to uh, pick 212 or at the back end of the second round? Same thing if you wind up taking uh, Joe Mixon, uh, Kenyon Drake, any of the guys that are going towards the back end of the first round. What's going to be there once uh, the turn flips and then you're uh, you're looking, you're looking at Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb or any of those guys in the early second round? round. So while the first round is very important, it's also incumbent for you to look at your overall draft strategy as you as you move deeper into the draft in that second, third round. It is tougher to overcome uh, a miss in fantasy football than the other fantasy sports in round one. I mean, it's just so top heavy. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was a part of the percentages was crazy last year of the teams that made the playoffs. But um, all right. So it's pretty much been a consensus big three. Do you see any reason to possibly move Elliott over Barkley at two? Or do you think it's pretty much CMC, Barkley and, and Elliott? And I know that you have Camara actually as part of tier one, I see actually. Yeah, I think I tossed him in there because the more I started thinking about it, and I think that's where I, I know there's there might be a little bit of contention with putting him in that particular tier. And I would say that if you're going to approach this from a structural standpoint, I can definitely see putting CMC probably in his own tier if you want to include those first three guys in, in the first tier. And then Kamara will probably be in that tier immediately after that. Because if you look at Kamara's uh, offensive situation, I mean, he really doesn't have too much in the way of competition for touches in that backfield. The offense is still primed to be one of the best in the in the NFL. And then, honestly, if we want to talk about like how the pandemic has affected the NFL season, I mean, uh, he doesn't have too much in terms of offensive turnover. I mean, the coaching staff is largely still there. Drew Brees is returning. Michael Thomas is still there. So largely a lot of that offense is still intact from 2019. Whereas for Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, Mike McCarthy now comes into town. They've added C.D. Lamb, uh, Saquon Barkley. He's now going to have to look at how they're going to start incorporating all the rest of the wide receivers, assuming now all of those guys are now coming back healthy. So at least there's there's some nitpicking that can be done at the very at the very top of the draft. So I wouldn't necessarily say Alvin Kamara should be moved up there, but I'd say at least there's a case to be made for him to be included in that discussion. That is fair, and it's tough to push back too much. Uh, he catches 83 balls every single year, and if it's true that last year he was playing on one leg and uh, the, the situation's so good, you know, the offensive line, the, the targets. Um, I, If I've missed out on him, I've been um, trying to – actually been really uh, targeting Latavius Murray – but Ty Montgomery has been impressing the practice report, so maybe that wouldn't be so clear of a situation there. But no, I mean, I really can't argue against Kamara there, other than I would say, me personally, I am the uh, the crazy man taking uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at four overall in PPR. I am the person. And just to be clear, I was the person who had him ranked as a back-end first-rounder while Damian Williams was still around. So now I'm just like, I got to go all in in number four there to make sure to get him. Um, and now the practice reports, everyone's uh, Peter King's telling you drafting in the first round. I don't actually love that. I mean, the, the hype now is like, uh, now everyone's on him, but I am the person who, if I had a fourth pick in a big money league, I would draft the rookie. So tell everyone why I'm crazy. Actually, to be quite honest, I don't think you're that crazy. Uh, John Paulson over at 4-4, he has him ranked, I think, as his RB6 as of right now in PPR scoring. And I think before the Damian Williams opt-out news, I was one of the guys that was still believing in Damian Williams. I mean, if you had asked me this maybe two or three months ago, I was the guy screaming that Damian Williams should have been the uh, Super Bowl MVP. There's no way that this rookie is going to come in and unseat the guy that basically helped them uh, come back and win their you know their championship. Uh, but now it's it's hard to refute. I mean, looking at what uh, the competition for touches in that backfield. I mean, are we really expecting uh, the combination of DeAndre Washington, Daryl Williams, Darwin Thompson to really force a significant, uh, I guess, touch share within that offense? I still see at the very least a 50 to 60 percent of workload. At least that's just as a as a runner. And then the competition for targets out of the backfield, I mean, who else is supposed to do that? There's no threat of a seasoned veteran like LaShawn McCoy, who was a healthy scratch in the Super Bowl, uh, to, for a quick reminder, that it just doesn't seem likely that he is going to be a guy that on a week-to-week -week basis should at least see uh, the requisite touches to pay off his current ADP. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is 
obviously just such a good system, such a good situation to be in. I think they're just going to leash him right away. And um, if you follow the practice reports, I know I was all about DeAndre Washington, but man, if you're paying closer attention, it looks like Daryl Williams is running with the twos there and he is absolutely free at the end of draft. So I like that too, if I get the rookie and then if I can get his backup for, for free there, but who knows, that's a fluid situation. And again, it's definitely riskier drafting a rookie to begin with, let alone in this crazy off season without any preseason games and whatnot. Um, okay. A couple of different areas I want to go here. First one I want to say is I am higher on Derek Henry. I'd say them are just whatever it means. Can't be too much higher, but um, in like a half PPR league, I think he's right there. and should be consideration in, in the, in the, in the tier one, the top three, um, I don't know. Even in full PPR, I think he can be a, he's a top seven-ish type pick still. Um, no Dion Lewis. Darrington Evans is not impressed at all. And he's just, you know, so, so good. And just the touchdowns. I get that there'll be some regression in the red zone. They're not going to score 75% of the time there. But that's just going to be more red zone carries for Henry. So what are your thoughts on, on Henry? And the next thing I want uh, to to sw- sw- switch to is Michael Thomas in the wide receiver position. Right. And looking at their uh, that their or their early season schedule. So they start off uh, week one against the Broncos, uh, week two against the Jaguars, whose defense is definitely suspect at this point. Uh, week three against the Vikings, week four against the Steelers. I mean, at the very least, Derrick Henry sets up to have at least a decent schedule, at least from a, uh, a defensive uh, interior perspective for the for the first month of the season. I mean, they've got the Bengals again uh, uh, shortly after their bye. a number of other like decent matchups. So I could see Derrick Henry, at least for the first quarter of the fantasy season, uh, basically looking like Derrick Henry of 2019. So if you're if you miss out on that first group of guys, so the guys we were just talking about, the Barclays, the Camaras, even CEH for that matter. I mean, I would I would most definitely uh, put Derrick Henry like right as that next guy up. And like as you just mentioned, I mean, Darrington Evans really isn't impressing in, uh, in camp. So who's to say that uh, Derrick Henry's target share doesn't bump up to the point where we should be considering him with that with that class of guys that are now catching enough targets so that from even from a PPR standpoint, they're meeting that value each week. He's been productive on a yards per route run basis. I mean, I don't know if he's capable of it, but I don't see why they at least can't see some increase there. OK, so. I just think because of the opportunity cost, it's a no-brainer Henry over Michael Thomas, even in full PPR. I know not everyone agrees in there at all. I mean, money in the bank, Michael Thomas. Um, I actually think Devontae Adams is sneakily set up to have a slightly better season, but that's beside my point here. I just mean, theoret- uh, just hypothetically, running back versus re- the number one receiver on your board. And I just think the, the in today's environment, you just simply got to take one of those possible uh, workhorse backs. Yes, exactly. And I think that's where like once you get into like the middle of the first round. So if you're sitting at, let's say, 106, 107, 108, I mean, a lot of your flexibility when it comes to draft strategy now starts to open up like you're not really beholden to drafting one of those workhorse backs and having to figure it out after the first round. You can really start to look at the Michael Thomases, the Devontae Adams, uh, any of those guys like that are in the first round that, you know, are going to get the the uh, like 28, 29, 30 percent target share in their offense offense that really sets them apart from the guys that are going to be there in the second and third round. I would I would heavily suggest folks taking a look at either approaching their draft from a from a structural standpoint. Like if you have tiers set up and you start to see, all right, well, now five of those top running backs or at least two of my first tiers and running backs are now gone. And now I can start to now pivot to the wide receivers. Well, Michael Thomas is sitting it should be sitting up at the top of that wide receiver list. So if you see enough running backs go ahead of you in that draft and you're sitting in the middle to back end 107, 108, I would then click that draft button on Michael Thomas and lock up what 170 targets that are most likely going to be coming this way this year. It's certainly a higher floor without question. And it's my argument is becoming tougher because I'm the person that would gamble on these backs like Kenyon Drake and Miles Sanders. But I mean, if they're in full body casts right now, I mean, I mean, I just, there's such a risk. I mean, I don't know what's, what's going to happen with them. So that's where this does get tougher. If you get a back in first round pick, what are you doing now? Say, say Thomas is off the board as well. Where are you turning to if you, if you get toward the wheel? Uh, uh, Devontae Adams would probably be my next pick immediately after that. So then at least I know I have the security of having a, a player that's going to catch a number of targets, has a secure floor. We already know what Devontae Adams' ceiling is going to be. And then after that, I would then take a look at who's going to be available in that second round because then that's where I can take in that risk of a guy like a Miles Sanders, a Kenyon Drake, like something along those lines, and then supplement my roster there afterwards. I, 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 I totally skipped over. Let me just to, to repeat the other guys. There would be Dalvin Cook. You're okay with injury risk. Just the upsides is okay. And then I'm all aboard with, with Joe Mixon and the situation there for sure. But those are two guys that I skipped over. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think with Dalvin Cook, I mean, we still need to kind of keep our ear to the ground regarding his contract situation. I know there's not a ton that's being released right now, but at least from that aspect, that's something to be at least keeping the back of our minds as we're drafting. And then Joe Mixon, of course, I'm me. I live an hour outside of Cincinnati, so I guess I am a kind of a Bengals homer. Uh, I'm definitely excited about what Joe brings. Joe Burrow brings to that off, offense this season, so I'm excited about Joe Mixon. I think he's definitely a fine candidate to pick. He wouldn't be uh, in that Derrick Henry tier, maybe just like right outside of that, but a guy definitely consider at that 108, 109 spot. Yeah, okay, all right. We're not too different here. And then you even have in your tiers, if it changed, you still have Sanders and Drake right there. And then, um, and then it looks like you have Tyreek Hill over Julio. I guess that, that would be a decision some are making right around there too. Yeah, I think that comes down more to the offensive situation where you think and how do you think that Calvin Ridley is actually going to ascend to that offense? Now, there's been a lot of hype over this uh, over this offseason about Calvin Ridley and how he's going to take that step forward with now without Mohamed Sanu being there and now with Todd Gurley kind of coming in. Uh, do we really see him sucking up a lot of those targets that Devonta Freeman was uh, was taking last season? I'm not entirely sure. If Calvin Ridley winds up uh, moving more into the slot a bit more, I can really see him taking off. Not to say it's going to hurt Julio in any sense of the in, in any sense of the matter, but I do think that Tyree Kill, if he's healthy on an offense that passed at the highest rate in neutral game scripts in the NFL in 2019, I think there's a case to be made about the upside that comes with Tyree Kill versus the target floor that we know Julio Jones has. Yeah, and as you pointed out, maybe the overall targets won't be there, but Disney doesn't he lead the 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 league in targets over 15 yards uh, in the air, uh, Tyreek. Yeah, so you know that's pretty pretty valuable uh, targets um, coming from the best deep thrower. Um, so um, interesting stuff because I don't really have too much to push back. Just at the the back end of the of round one is now you're dealing with Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders, and Tyreek Hill, who are all dealing with injuries. The only other interesting one I'll throw a curveball there, which I mentioned on this pod before, is my guy George Kittle. What if you wanted to really, uh, you know, the theory is maybe he could separate himself in the tight, tight end position. Obviously, Kelsey is a monster as well. And I actually think tight end is super deep this year. But if all the 49ers receivers keep dropping like flies, the defense is going to regress. Bose is hurt. Uh, D Ford is hurt. Um, I mean, Kittle, you know, he let, was top three in yard, first in yards per route run last year among even wide receivers. So, I mean, he even led the NFL in nullified TDs last year. So I think there's upside for more work in the red zone. And is it crazy to consider him, you know, a back in first round? If he's available, he's not really, it won't even cost that. You can get him in, you know, the middle of your second round. But he's another guy I'd consider there with these other question marks as far as health concerns. I think that's a fair consideration, I mean, for the points that you just laid out. And then I think the overall tight end strategy, at least that I've started to adopt over the past couple of a couple of years, is that if you're not going to get one of those elite tight ends, I mean, let's just push it all the way down to the guys that have that upside in the, let's say, the double digit rounds later. So if I'm not going to get the guys in that first, I would say that first tier of tight ends, so the Kelsey's, the Kittles, the Ertz's, the Andrews, I'm just I'm not gonna even going to try and reach on. Jared Cook, Tyler Higby of those guys. Give me Blake Jarwin. Give me Chris Herndon, Ian Thomas, any of those guys where I can afterwards, you know, build most of my core, uh, get at least a, a viable quarterback if I want to, and then worry about the tight end later, uh, tight end position later. So George Kittle, I think like while it might be a reach, at least then you know that you have that secure target floor week in and week out. You can then uh, look for one of those running backs that we just discussed that might have some injury concerns in the early second round and then build your team from there. Couldn't agree more about the tight end. I'm uh, my personal rankings of Jarwin, Herndon, and Hawkinson and Jasicki are way higher than most, so it works out well for me there. And um, yeah, okay, so first round, basically, I, I just suggest get one of the workhorse backs if you can. Um, I get the high floor of those receivers, and man, as the season approaches, the back end of the first, I just I don't I don't want with all these injury question marks. I probably would still. You think it's still worth the gamble of going a Drake or Sanders? Uh, do you feel strongly about between either of those two? Uh, for me, at least right now, I'm thinking I'm leaning a bit more towards Kenyon Drake. Uh, it's just it's really it really surprised me like how much that offense changed like towards the back end of the season and also how successful it was as well. Because when it was the Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray show at the beginning of the year, we were thinking full on air raid four wide receiver sets, pass, pass, pass. And while that seemed to work for a little bit. The offense actually operated better like once they shifted into allowing Kenyon Drake to kind of be like their lead back. They were involving him in the pass game. He wound up actually with, I believe, a 13 percent target share in that offense. I mean, he was an absolute monster like for folks that actually uh, that picked him up and played him during the fantasy playoffs. So I think that that continues to some degree in 2020. 
And I think that if you are going to take a shot on a on a on a guy that's most likely going to see the significant touches like out of that backfield, I know Chase Edmonds. There have been some pieces coming out about him with some camp hype. I do think that if you are going to be targeting a RB backup situation, Chase Edmonds is probably the best guy to pick up. Should something happen to Kenyon Drake, and that uh, him being in that walking boot is a bit more than what uh, Kingsbury is letting on. But I do think if I was going to plant my flag anywhere, it'd probably be on Kenyon Drake. You're preaching to the choir. I actually had him ranked ahead of Dalvin Cook before this injury. But uh, very much the Seinfeld quote is just so perfect. Hate the Drake, love the Drake. It's back and forth, but I'm with you on the upside. So at the end of that, yeah, there are so many question marks. If you want to, to pivot, though, I mean, I could tell you uh, uh, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, uh, Josh Jacobs. I, they all have Melvin Gordon. I'd like to push up, but now, I mean, a bunch of question marks. Those guys, by, I've already said this, but I, I will repeat it. By the time the fantasy season starts, I will have drafted uh, Jonathan Taylor in round one in the fantasy league. I'll have talked to myself into it but okay so after round one you did a nice thread about uh, talking about how to attack the quarterback position on yahoo and uh we'll first talk about that and we'll get to your bus but talk about just in general then how do you how do you approach the quarterback position so I know that everybody's uh, we were just talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and like how excited we are to see them trying to come back and do uh, another Super Bowl run. Uh, Lamar Jackson, after he I mean, completely lit the fantasy world on fire, uh, being like one of the best fantasy quarterbacks to come out since. Well, I mean, since I've been playing fantasy football. Uh, but to me, where they're being drafted at right now, I mean, either in the second round, third round, something along those lines. It's still too early for me. For as much upside as they might bring on a weekly basis, uh, I, the opportunity cost is still too high. I mean, because even for the guys that you were just listing off, I mean, the Nick Chubbs, the Aaron Jones, I mean, some of those guys, I mean, but there's still a number of other like viable wide receivers and or running backs that are going in the second and third round where we know we have to start at least two running backs, at least two wide receivers each week. So the opportunity cost associated with drafting a quarterback that early, it's still too much for me. I would much rather wait uh, I think the the minimum uh, that I that uh, in some regression analysis that I had done looking at historical trends saw that uh, really the the amount of like the points per game between running backs and wide receivers, it really starts to level out like around the fourth or fifth round somewhere in there. And that'd be about the earliest that I'd consider taking a taking a quarterback. So if yeah. you can wait. I would much rather grab one of those guys that's going there. So we're probably talking about Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen. I mean, those guys, I feel a little bit more comfortable investing in if I wanted to draft a quarterback that early. Yeah, it's just more than ever weight on quarterback, man. It's just so, so deep. Are you a fan of the Superflex format? Uh, most definitely. I think that any, any any format that forces you to adjust your draft strategy is something that I want to do. While it, in, like, it inflates a quarterback ADP, I mean, to just to no end, but at least it, it, it's a fun variant on fantasy football. Totally agree. And I instituted in my home league last year and they're not like super in like, I don't, it was, it turned into a wild west and funny. And it was like a 20 quarterback run and one guy was stuck and it was, it's pretty funny. But in general, I do like adding positions and super flex to me is a no brainer just because it's uh, so, so ridiculously deep. Um, what, so what are the targets uh, guys in the middle rounds? Um, um, Sam, Sam Darnold. Um, I'm kind of buying hype that he looks so good in practice. Um, Adam Gase is so frustrating. Um, but um, are any of the guys that you've been uh, just recently, Cam Newton, I mean, I've been uh, uh, skeptical. I, I thought that Stidham, all the hype before, I'm like, I'm not sure that's a no-brainer, but it has been a no-brainer. Newton looks like the guy, and Stidham's just completely falling in the background. So um, any other guys that have been uh, moving up your draft boards? Uh, at least for me, it's been uh, the 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 mustache himself. I mean, the guy wearing George, yeah. uh, Gardner, Gardner Minshew. I mean, how, I mean, especially after was the tweet from yesterday or whatever, like where he's just kind of like, you know, playing yes. a uh, poking fun at his ADP. And uh, I mean, if not for what he did in 2019, I mean, let's now look at his situation here in 2020. I mean, we've, I just mentioned earlier about the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and their defense. I mean, definitely being suspect now with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, he left this past season. Yannick Ngakwe is definitely looking for a way out as quickly as possible. So I'm projecting at least a number of negative game strips like f- uh, for, uh, for the Jaguars. Uh, we now, we saw last season hit him able to make a quick uh, uh, connection with DJ Chark, who finished, I thought, as, I mean, he came out of nowhere, like after pretty much doing nothing uh, his rookie season. So I think that uh, DJ Chark now is a huge value as of right now in the about fifth-ish round. Uh, definitely a wide receiver, folks to target. But uh, not just uh, what Gardner can do as a passer, but he had just a number of scrambles. I mean, I want to say, if I'm remembering correctly, just over 300 yards rushing uh, this past season, but zero rushing touchdowns. 
So if we think there's any sort of positive regression that would come with him continuing to scramble, I mean, he tacks on some additional rushing touchdowns to that. He could, I mean, easily, I mean, outkick his ADP as of, as of right now. You know, podcasts are typically better with some disagreement. But um, again, I couldn't agree with you more. I've moved Gardner Minshew to me. He's like Josh Allen. I have them nearly ranked back to back. Um, I have Allen much lower than market and Minshew higher. Um, you know, far better fantasy players than real life players. And the J- Jacksonville's totally tanking. They don't care if they go 0-16 and they're just going to let him play. They're going to be playing from behind. You're going to look down and say, how is Minshew a top 15 fantasy player? Because I believe he was the second highest scramble rate last year. And you talk about positive regression for him. Like there's some negative touchdown regression for Josh Allen as far as rushing. Um, so totally with you, Gardner Minshew, so cheap. And now what there's doing something about the uh, the Bud Light late, latest thing is pretty funny too. Everyone loves, loves the mustache. So um, totally with you there. Now, on the opposite side, and again, uh, I agree here. You you wrote a piece about three overvalued guys, and uh, love you, man. I think you even referenced CPOE in here. I thought I was the only fantasy guy to, uh, to talk about that. So um, let's hear some guys you're down on in, at the QB position. Oh, sure. And like the things that I was looking for, and like I always try and hammer like process. I mean, if you look at any other, I mean, industry guru that's out there right now, they always want to hammer process. And the things that I was looking for, like when trying to figure out like who are the guys that are most likely to bust, I mean, you want to look at how their how their team and their offense situation sets up. And so one of the things I look at are uh, neutral passing rates and neutral passing rates is when the game was, is within one score. And really that helps us separate out the noise that might come from different game environments like when they're ahead when they're falling behind so really it helps us figure out like what the team wants to do like normally without anything else involved uh so that and also a touchdown rate red zone passing rate i mean a couple of things that i want to wanted to look at as things that could possibly regress and make us change our outlook on that on any particular quarterback the one guy that i kept going back to every single time is baker mayfield i, I know i mentioned again i'm an ohio native I know I'm more of a Bengals fan than a Cleveland fan, but I have to support like all the Ohio sports. But still, it's hard for me to see how Baker Mayfield comes out and really like outkicks like his current ADP. I mean, he's being drafted somewhere in like the mid to low teens uh, in terms of like quarterback ADP. And now with Kevin Stefanski coming over, I mean, where where is that passing volume supposed to come from? I mean, Dalton, do you remember? I mean, just a quick question. Do you remember how many passes Kirk Cousins had in week one of last season? <laughs> Twelve. How bad? 10. <laughs> Even I, sh- and you knew I was going to go. Yeah, he still didn't. He had 10 pass yeah. attempts. I mean, this was the team that passed at one of the lowest rates in neutral passing scripts. And it even got worse if they wound up getting ahead. And so now if their if their defense is anything like it was before all the suspensions and injuries, right. I mean, they get Miles Garrett back. I believe actually that Greedy Jackson, like he was hurt. He might be out for the season. So there is some concern with with some of their defensive secondary players. But if their defense is actually able to keep other teams from scoring, I mean, who's to say that they don't, don't just wind up giving the ball to Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and just let them continue to round the clock until they wind up winning the game? I have a lot of concerns with the Browns, the, uh, at least their passing offense, regardless of how much talent Baker actually has around him this season. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm the idiot who had Baker ranked third, I think, last year very aggressively. And I'm not even sure if he is going to be, uh, I'm, I'm certainly skeptical if he's going to be a star. I'm not sure how much trouble he is or how much we can separate uh, the coaching for the problem from last year. I know he had struggled in a clean pocket, and that's fairly sticky. And there's some some issues that maybe he's, you know, he's an issue that's not going to necessarily go away because the coaching changes. But even if that is completely beside the point, you bring up great points. That his situation is not conducive for fantasy this year. Uh, Nick Chubb's very good. He might score a ton of touchdowns. So uh, I don't un- really understand why, yeah, Baker, people are expecting this automatic bounce back. And I have him outside my top 20 fantasy QB, so I'm with you there. Uh, who's another another guy and i know this has been kind of like a running joke for the past couple of seasons but the guy that uh i at least i picked for this and since i happen to work with john paulson he's probably gonna hate me for it but it's it's aaron Rodgers. i mean aaron Rodgers, like he still has like that name value that i mean if any any casual fantasy league is he's probably still gonna get drafted in like either top 12 or just shortly thereafter but it's, it's hard for me to again to see how he winds up beating his his positional adp for similar reasons that uh, i just outlined for for Baker Mayfield. I mean, teams can't lie in the draft and in free agency. That's a quote that, I mean, Sigmund Bloom, I heard him talk about that a couple of years ago. And that's something that I've continued to at least use as at least my my jumping off point for figuring out like how to approach like specific offensive situations. And this one kind of fits it. 
I mean, they go out and they draft uh, A.J. Dillon. Uh, they also they draft Jordan Love, and we'll see how well that pick's going to pan out. But they've done nothing to address like that wide receiver position after they spent uh, what is it? Uh, numerous uh, like wide receiver picks in, in, in drafts past. I mean, they picked up Equinemius St. Brown, so on and so forth. But they've done nothing to really help out Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. I mean, it's basically Devontae Adams. You draft Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and that's about it. I mean, after that, I mean, it's really just Matt LaFleur wants to run that offense in a similar manner to the way that he ran the offense when he was in Tennessee. And it was, let's just give it to the big guy. Let's use our running game, lean on that as much as possible. And with that, it's hard for me to see unless their defense winds up taking another step back, they're forced in negative game scripts. I can't see how Aaron Rodgers continues to put up that volume in order to pay off what drafters are going to be, uh, I guess, using in terms of draft capital this season. Absolutely. I have him lower than the market. Uh, A.J. Dillon's there. Um, as much as I like Devontae Adams, what if he gets hurt? Um, Rodgers, the, the CPOE, the, the advanced sets under the hood, have not loved him as an elite uh, quarterback the last few years. Um, I, yeah, I'm with you. Rodgers will end up on uh, none of my teams. Um, as uh, the, 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 last, the last player you're going you're gonna to say, go, go ahead, you, you say it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, again, it's another old guy, uh, Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, for for at least for our purposes uh, as as fantasy managers, I mean, we're we're really trying to harness as much value out of that onesie position as possible. And for I would say a number of seasons, like while Tom Brady has been in one of the best offensive systems, I mean, they've won a number of Super Bowls, so on and so forth. I mean, has he really returned that value that you would want at the quarterback position? Uh, as as the stats have really shown, I mean, unless you're a dual threat quarterback or you use that hashtag Konami code, shout out to Rich Rebar, I mean, you're not really going to be able to uh, really beat your your positional ADP. Tom Brady, at 43 years of age, he's not going to be giving you that rushing production that you need. That's why, again, we were more excited talking about Gardner Minshew than we should be Tom Brady. But now also, given his current offensive situation, which we love, I mean, everybody loves Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they, uh, they bring back uh, Rob Gronkowski. I mean, there's so much there to like, but who's to say that now instead of uh, him passing 30, 35 plus times a game, they now have a more controlled or efficient offense. That defense, their defensive front is one of the best in the league. Their secondary is now also being, I guess, revamped with a couple of draft picks that they've used towards it this past season. Who's to say that they're not just a team that winds up scoring? You know, they have two or three touchdowns maybe per game, if that, and the rest of the time they wind up using their defense in order to have a more efficient offense. Is Tom Brady really going to be a part of the shootouts that you want in order to actually get you to the QB1 position? I just don't see it given the way that their team is structured and how Tom Brady has been performing over the past couple of seasons. So for that, I'm kind of out. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned three guys I'm really down on. And Brady, I wrote a he's done column, and everyone called me an idiot. I've talked about it enough on on this pod. But yeah, even if he's not as done, as I say, as a, as a passer, the situation, as you said it there, this is so perfect for Winston throwing. The 30-30 season is so perfect for fantasy stats. And I mean, their defense is better. Um, maybe those receivers are just so elite. They, uh, I'll be wrong. But I'm almost convinced he's... And the latest reports look like Brady's deep ball looks good or whatever. But I am so skeptical with you too, man. 43 and a half years old, changing system. And I think Bruce Arians only had like uh, one QB one performance before last year of the last decade too. So, um, so with the red zone, but it looks like the red zone though they both passed a lot. You looked a little deeper there. It looked like that that should go for him as what that that boosts well for him bodes well for him. It does, and I think that would be probably his saving grace is that they they might want to pass a little bit more in the red zone, and so he can wind up paying off that ADP. But again, without Jameis Winston in the driver's seat in order to kind of create those negative game scripts, I mean, it's hard for me, again, to see like how that passing volume is going to be structured. I mean, I just doing some quick math, uh, so for the number of touchdowns that Jameis threw last season, you would have to combine about four to five seasons of Tom Brady's interceptions to meet what Jameis Winston did last year. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. So if we're not going to have those negative game scripts, like where you know the passing volume is going to be there, I mean, what are we really investing in, like with his current cost? Yeah, no, totally with you. Uh, before we, we move on from quarterbacks, I wanted to, you did bring up in the in this thread, the Cowboys. I mean, Dak, I think, has pretty universally been moved up to number three, but I, I've been get, getting Gallup and CeeDee Lamb everywhere and Blake Jarwin. Um, it looks like the, the coaching with what one of the, the least pass rate to uh, – 
to now one of the highest, and they already had, what, 440 yards per game last year, the the highest yards per play. So um, are they just going to pass like crazy and just, just, I mean, you just want how many shares can you get here? I mean, I'm trying to get as many shares as I possibly can. There's no way of, I mean, of any team like in the NFL, I, I have at least probably at least one Dallas player on every single one of my teams. A uh, Gallup is probably my most owned. Um, I've been a little bit more bullish on Amari Cooper, but that's probably just me being suckered into him like every single season, and then he gets hurt or whatever. Uh, but I think Dak as a as a quarterback, uh, I liked him coming out of college. I still thought he was a bit raw. Um, him taking over uh, for Tony Romo, I thought was I, I think he performed very admirably like in his rookie season uh, taking over. But now I just see that the way that Kellen Moore has structured that offense. I mean, it's a high, it's a quick pace. I mean, a pass first like type offense while they're still using uh, Ezekiel Elliott as kind of the engine to power that offense. I mean, they were still just above the neutral passing rate uh, in uh, neutral passing rate this past season. I think they were about like 60, 61%, but their place per game actually jumped from, I think either 12th to 7th. So now like with the added volume that that offense is going to see, I mean, you can see again, if teams can't lie like in the draft, I mean, them drafting C.D. Lamb has to tell you something about what they think about their passing offense. So uh, with that, I mean, I'm very excited to see like how they integrate C.D. into into that offense. If Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup can stay healthy throughout the entire season, I mean, Dak should easily pay off that cost. Yeah, both Cobb and Witten had 83 targets last year. I think Witten was a tight end one. He was like the 11th or something. I mean, Witten last year, uh, I yeah, expect big things from that. That offense, uh, and um, yeah, as a 49ers fan, scared to see if uh, Earl Thomas lands there. Um, let's uh, let's briefly talk. I'm talking to Chris Allen from 440. Sorry, Chris, you write for other places too. Yep, go, go ahead and, uh, and, and talk about yourself a little bit. What other place you write for? Yeah, sure. I write uh, over at Number Fire. Um, I do a little bit work for Dynasty League Football uh, and also Football Guys uh, as well. So doing a little in-season work over there. So you can you can find me almost anywhere uh, where some uh, where a lot of the I guess fantasy production is made. Um, all right, Chris, good stuff. Before we get out of here, I want to do kind of a, a rapid fire round of a backup running backs that I've just, I have a bunch of actually situations I want to throw at you a ton. Um, so maybe just go quickly here. Um, Frank Gore sounds like a real thing. I know he's 48 years old. Um, I love the guy. Uh, he's been on, he started the 49ers uh, a couple decades ago. Um, Adam Gase, I don't think this is, I think this is a real thing. And I was already kind of skeptical of Le'Veon Bell. Um, I moved Bell all way down to where the David Montgomery territory, meaning he will end up on zero of my teams. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, this is the guy, I mean, what is it? The inconvenient truth, I think yes, is one of his absolutely. nicknames. Yeah. So, I mean, he continues to be that way. And I think after the 2019 season, when he basically forced a almost 50-50 split between him and Devin Singletary in Buffalo, he wound up, I think, leading the team in red zone rushes. I, I can't see how this isn't something that, I guess, fantasy managers need to pay attention to. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, I mean, for most of his time in Pittsburgh, and then uh, for his, his first season, like in, in New Jersey, uh, or New York, rather, I mean, he was like the guy, like he was receiving, I mean, it was all based off of volume. And if now that volume is now coming into question, again, like, are we are we drafting him in the right spot? Is his ADP really worth it at that point? And like, for me, I've been avoiding him throughout most of this offseason. I mean, because again, I'm just not really a huge believer in Adam Gase. I mean, for a number of obvious reasons, uh, but at least with this, with his latest news, I mean, I might not be drafting Frank Gore, but I'm definitely not drafting Le'Veon Bell. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Not Frank Gore, but he actually might be a hinder, a real thing, even at that age. I think that I'm not just completely dismissing this. Normally a 37 year old running back, I would, but I think he actually might get touches. Uh, Washington football team situation. Bryce Love is getting encouraging reports. Um, is this going to be just a three headed situation? Speaking of uh, older elderly statesmen running backs adrian peterson there and obviously everyone's favorite sleeper antonio gibson yeah I, i'm really high on gibson at this point i mean just from the notes that we got from scott turner like shortly after he was, it was drafted i know that a lot of uh like coaches gms i know they like to float these comps that really they, they want to hit those buzzwords to really get people excited about the draft pick so when they say that antonio gibson like reminds them of cmc or can be used in the same way as mccaffrey i know that probably set off a lot of alarm bells like across fantasy land and i don't want to take it to that point yet 
But the practice, I mean, the reports coming out of the reports coming out of camp really seem to indicate like he could be used in that fashion. So while I do think that Adrian Peterson will wind up being the the you know the favorite to lead this season in, uh, in carries early on, I mean that's definitely a backfield where it's an ambiguous backfield, and that's probably something that we would want to invest in as much as we possibly can because those are those like the the late season or late round guys that can wind up breaking out and actually helping our team like push for a championship. So I'm kind of in on both of them at their at their current cost. Yeah, that defensive line improvement, Haskins could step up, love McLaurin. I think that's sneaky, sneaky, d- decent offensive uh, production there from Washington. So yeah, Gibson, the guy with the upside. I already said it before, but Daryl Williams is to me the guy, and it's not only like going later, but he, to me right now on the Kansas City depth chart, appears to be number two. And I believe they went to the same college, CEH, and he's like embracing him. But Fluid situation, but uh, uh, Washington going well above him. But Daryl Williams is definitely in the mix to be a very important fantasy backup. Uh, Devin uh, uh, Ozigbo, the Ozigbros exist in Jacksonville. He's been impressing. Um, Raquel Armstead, you know, he may return. But um, if you're fading Fournette, that's a situation to, uh, to, to pay attention to. Do you have any thoughts in Jacksonville or KC backfields? Uh, so the KC backfield is definitely interesting because I know DeAndre Washington is probably the the guy that's at least the most popular. Sure. I mean, yeah, given given his connection to Mahomes, uh, they uh, the Chiefs they take him from a division rival. I mean, all that seems to set up nicely for for Washington. But at least like for Darrell Williams for his time already being there like in the system, I'm wondering if like while Washington has capable he's capable in the pass catching situation, I'm wondering if they're still looking for a guy that can function similar to Spencer Ware. I do think that when they had that tandem between Kareem Hunt and Spencer Ware, I mean, that's really how they, I think that's how Andy Reid like really wanted to see their uh, see that backfield operate. So if they could have CEH as like that first, second down grinder, uh, you know, maybe even third down I mean, in hurry up situations, but they still need that power back to really like, you know, to, to really I mean, take home the game. Like if they're up and they just need a guy to like grind out that victory. I don't know if it's going to be DeAndre Washington. It could just as easily be Daryl Williams. So I could just as easily take a shot at Daryl Williams that giving his ADP is what nothing. I mean, you can get him with like with your very last pick. So I, I do think that that's definitely a guy that should be a target because we don't know who the backup is going to be, like even with the popularity around uh, DeAndre Washington. So I like that call. Uh, yeah, I guess he went to LSU as well. And I, like I said, what I've been reading, he's been getting the run with the twos. Uh, but um, again, fluid situation, but definitely something to pay attention to because, yeah, it could be fantasy gold mine there. So do you have anything to add on the Jacksonville situation there? No, very exciting. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm already out on Fournette. Uh, Raquel Armstead still on the COVID list. Uh, so, I mean, Divina Zigbo, I mean, huge, I mean, huge dynasty prospect, a guy that I like actually got on a, a, quite a few of my rosters. Okay, right. Maybe it is exciting then. Yeah, I definitely think that, I mean, with as much negative press that Leonard Fournette like got throughout the offseason, I mean, they tried to trade him. Nobody really wanted him. I mean, who's to say that? I mean, we were just talking earlier about the fact that, I mean, they're, I think the projected win total is probably one of the worst in the league as of right now. It has to be fairly low. So I would think that, I mean, is it possible that they don't wind up just, I mean, pulling Fournette and just trying to see what they have in either one of those two guys? I mean, if, and if uh, Armstead isn't capable of going, we could see a Zigbo out there. All right, the Chargers situation. Uh, Joshua Kelly is lately actually getting some pretty good praise there. I know Justin Jackson was previously reported as a clear number two. So I've been moving up the rookie back up my rankings. What are your thoughts on the Chargers? I actually like that call, and I pre- actually I prefer him like over Justin Jackson at this point. And while again, Justin Jackson, I think he played well in those few games, but we've seen like injuries have become a just uh, I guess a constant story with him. I mean, in his opportunity, like he'll show out for a couple of games. I think that happened uh, last season, also happened in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, as well. And we've seen like how that's really been, I guess, his demise. Like, for as excited as we are to try and draft somebody uh, that can have that upside. He he just really hasn't been able to take it home. And so if Joshua Kelly is now already starting to show out in camp and Justin Jackson, like while he might be the incumbent, I would assume he at the very least he's on a short leash. And so if that's the case, like I would much rather take a shot on the rookie and see how that turns out, considering we know that he has fresh legs. We know like what he was capable of doing in college. So I, I, I really do lend it to, uh, to Josh Kelly and see how he starts off the 2020 season. Okay, another situation is Pittsburgh. Um, I, I'm in on James Conner, drafting him aggressively, but obviously injury prone. Uh, Benny Snell, um, Tomlin flat out said he was a backup a couple weeks ago, but few people reported. It. I've just been able to get him at the end of rounds. But now it's being a little bit more publicized. Looks like Benny Snell would be the guy to you'd want the backup situation in Pittsburgh, which could be very valuable. Although not sure how great Snell is the player, but I, I think he, he's in the right situation. Do you have any different thoughts there in Pittsburgh? 
Oh, I mean, if we were talking about uh, what D'Angelo Williams being a league winner, I mean, that system has produced usable fantasy backs for, I mean, for quite some time now. So if I'm capable of picking up the guy that's going to, I mean, pick up the load, like should James Conner go down, then of course, yeah, why not invest in a, in a system like that's already produced like a number of fantasy backs previously? And I mean, Ben Roethlisberger already saying that he feels fine. I mean, practice uh, videos have kind of shown that like the 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 knee the elbow rather like isn't too much of an issue. So if we're looking at I mean the 2018 version of this offense, and I can pick up a guy that can really walk into a bell cow role like should James Conner go down? Then sure. I mean, I think uh, the last uh, article I read is possibly that. Uh, uh, it's going to be like Jalen Samuels, like he might get cut. I might be a cut candidate for this season. So really, I mean, it's it's really Benny Snell's like job sitting behind James Conner. And, that, and I, I really like that situation for him. Yeah, crazy. Big Ben truly is throwing pain free for the first time in 13 years or whatever. But um, I get it. Normally, I'm with the rookie upside. I get why Anthony McFarland's typically drafted higher. But this situation, I just don't think was been properly uh, paid attention to. I think Snell is the volume guy, to, the, the guy to have. Um, Atlanta, I've been searching because I want to fade Todd Gurley. Uh, Judge Ito Smith has made some impressive moves. I'm not sure if he could carry the workload. But do you have any thoughts in Atlanta? It's really, for me, it's probably just Brian Hill, and that's yeah. all I'm willing to kind of yeah, dip okay. my toes in, like the backups that are that are there. Uh, because, I mean, what was it? Uh, I forget which week it was, but like when Ito Smith, like he tried to pick up a, a blitz, and he just wound up having, a, he was concussed. I think he wound up going on <laughs> yeah, IR shortly yeah. after that. So I, I think, and also, I mean, given Brian Hill's usage in the red zone, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of upside there, like should Todd Gurley wind up going down. So I think that it's probably Brian Hill for me, and then after that, like I'd rather just invest in the wide receivers. Okay, Minnesota, we talked about obviously Dalvin Cook, uh, certainly the most injury-prone guy going in the top 10. Um, I've been getting Mike Boone five rounds after Madison, uh, but maybe I'm falling for him just looking, uh, you know, falling for the Twitter pictures of him looking yoked. Uh, What are your thoughts on the Minnesota backfield? No, it sounds like he's also showing out in camp and showing like why, like at least the, from a fantasy perspective or even just from the team's perspective, like they should continue to hang on to him. Like yeah. I know that uh, Alexander Madison is like the easy guy to back up uh, Dalvin Cook. I mean, but behind him, I mean, there's still a number of guys. I mean, weren't we arguing about like Mike Boone, like being the guy to pick up what was in week 14 or 15 yeah. of this past season? And while he didn't wind up like being completely paying yeah. off, I mean, he wound up at least putting enough down on tape for me to take a look at him and just say like, well, if there's a chance and I'm in a I'm in a league that has a, a deep bench, I mean, why not take a flyer on a guy where you know at least with with minnesota those running backs are going to see quite a few touches week in and week out i mean who else is kirk cousins supposed to throw it to like now that stefan diggs isn't a part of that offense so if that team is going to continue to lean on the running game i would still want a piece of that yeah madison like graded really lowly and uh, as a rusher last year in the advanced stats too so um with you there okay so two more and they're pretty fantasy actionable here speaking of looking strong in the twitter pictures aj dylan Totally, I moved him up. But lately, I've read that Jamal Williams is not going away and like Dylan might really be fourth in the depth chart. So, again, these are fluid situations. But I'm just saying be a little cautious with with, with Dylan, uh, just assuming that he's immediate backup in Green Bay. Yes, I forget which beat writer writer that it was, but they were saying that, I mean, Jamal Williams is still going to be, I mean, a pretty decent part of the picture. I mean, if he's not going to be uh, splitting time with Aaron Jones, similar to what they were doing in 2019, I mean, should be fairly close to that. And I mean, Jamal Williams, he's really coming at a value like in drafts as of right now, because like you just mentioned, I mean, everybody saw the the calf picture from a week or so ago and they wanted (laughs) to push him up. And especially given the draft capital that they spent on him uh, in order to, in order to acquire A.J. Dillon, it makes sense. But still, I mean, for my, I guess the question that I'd had in my mind since the draft was if that were the case, like why didn't they just either trade or cut Jamal Williams? I mean, if they were so impressed, like with A.J. Dillon, I mean, why didn't they just let him go? Like, why keep him there when they still have I mean, they have Dexter Williams like kicking around the roster as well. I mean, so why why bother keeping him there? I still think there's enough value like in Jamal Williams, especially now. I mean, given his ADP that I mean, he's probably the guy that I'd be most willing to take a, a late flyer on and just see how that backfield shakes out. Totally. I mean, versus I mean, versus drafting uh, Dylan at his cost and then just waiting to see like if there's going to be another injury or if they wind up actually going with a full-on three-headed committee, which I really hope doesn't happen. Oh, and they're saying he's improved his receiver. He could be the best receiver of that backfield, too. Totally agree with there, and he's the cheapest. So, all right, last one, and this one's uh, the most controversial. You might push back on me here. Um, definitely different than the ADP, ECR. 
Um, I don't understand why Zach Moss is not ranked ahead of Devin Singletary if he's the better receiver and is going to be the goal line guy. I, I just, the, um, uh, was it Ben Gretsch calls him trap carries. Seems like Singletary is going to get all the carries, you know, in between the red zone, whereas Moss, a superior receiver, 20 pounds heavier, uh, flashing in camp, going to get the goal line. The ones that Josh Allen doesn't steal, by the way, I don't see the upside in Singletary as like a top 40 back right now. I mean, tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, I, I can't, I mean, are we like, should I make up something so that we disagree, uh, just to like make the <laughs> folks like feel like we're arguing or whatever. I, I, I'm not kidding you. Uh, I wrote a piece on Zach Moss breaking down his, uh, his film, like from college. And these, these are my exact words. I'll be honest. I don't understand Moss's current ADP. And at the time was RB 49. Let me restate that. I don't understand Moss's current ADP relative to Devin Singletary's. Those were my words from two months ago. It still doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, Zach Moss, he functioned well as a pass catcher. Frank Gore did not. If we're now bringing, we're assuming that they brought in Zach Moss to replace Frank Gore. He can do the Frank Gore role as a runner, but he can also do that as a pass catcher. Why are we still continuing to draft Devin Singletary at his current ADP? I do not understand it. That offense is predicated on the run. We saw how Josh Allen was able to use that to his advantage. But uh, one thing that I actually found out, like this was actually uh, looking through Sports Info Solutions, most of Josh Allen's uh, carries within the red zone, within the 10, they came on second down. He was not the primary option Like when it came to rushing within the red zone. He was able to do uh, take those scores after the running back in, that, uh, that uh, ran on first down, which was normally Frank Gore, didn't actually right. uh, convert those. So now if Zach Moss, who is, what, at least 20 pounds heavier mm-hmm. than Devin Singletary, is now the one that's going to be taking some of those goal line carries, I mean, I, I, I see nothing but upside. When it comes in, and especially given his cost, I mean, regardless of which draft strategy that you employ, if it's robust RB, zero RB, I mean, whatever the case may be, I mean, the, Zach Moss should definitely be one of your targets, like in the in the like the single digit, or I mean, depending on how lady goes, I mean, you pick him up wherever you can. For sure, I, I have Moss comfortably ahead of Singletary, and yeah, as much as I say Josh Allen's going to regress with his TD rushes, uh, it definitely is not ideal to have your quarterback uh, be the eighth. I think he's eighth most rushing touchdowns the last two years among all players. So that's not that's not great. So yeah, all right, man. Well, well, we failed uh, to come up with a proper disagreement, Chris. But uh, man, thanks for joining us. Um, Chris is on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. Um, anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, I think we we hit it all. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, thank you, Dalton, for having me on. It's a pleasure to finally get a chance to sit down and talk with you. Uh, but yeah, if you can find my work over at 444, uh, Number Fire, once the season gets rolling, uh, then also over at Football Guys as well. I'll be doing some in-season pieces there. Uh, so, I mean, wherever you can find me, again, you already said my Twitter handle. So if you have any problems, questions, don't like my takes or the fact mm-hmm. that I didn't argue with Dalton, come find me on Twitter. Thanks again, Chris, man, during this crazy time, too. Um, podcasts, we have a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports for some fantasy baseball action. Check out Scott Pianowski on the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball Pod. Or I was just on the show Monday, and we uh, we drafted favorite Radiohead songs. If you're a weirdo, check that out. Um, also, check out the Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, and the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Dalton Del Don. Tomorrow, Liz, Matt, and Andy are back with a cram session to get you ready for any fantasy football drafts you have coming up. We are out. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, where our current focus is on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, as well as the 2020 elections. Subscribe and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.